Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you go to Acts chapter 4? Last week we saw the first instance in the beginning of Acts 4, the first instance where resistance began to rise against Christians in their mission of spreading the gospel. If you remember, Peter and John were arrested and they were imprisoned. They were interrogated for being used of God to bring healing to a lame man and for preaching to others about Jesus Christ. Um, The Sanhedrin Council of Jewish religious leaders, they threatened them. They commanded them to be silent from there on out about Jesus Christ. But because they feared the people's opinion and reaction, ultimately, they let Peter and John go. And Peter and John's response to resistance, it was boldness. (laughs) And it was courage to continue on in bringing others to the salvation that's found only in Jesus Christ. But how, how did the church respond as a whole to that? And that's where verse 23, chapter 4, picks up what we'll look at this morning together. <clears throat> Let's read it. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. It says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had sent unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And he said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, The place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we want its truth to transform our lives. It's alive. It's powerful. (laughs) These aren't just words on paper from a book thousands of years old. The Holy Spirit breathed these words. And you use them to call us into relationship with you. And you use them to strengthen us in our relationship with you. You use them to convict us when there's a break in that relationship because of something we've done, something we haven't done. And you use it to call us back into intimate, close relationship with you. And I pray that you would use your word in that way this morning. 
And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So in response <clears throat> to resistance against our mission, the church of Jesus Christ, we must experience a turn to prayer. Their first response here, not their last resort, their first response was prayer. You take a look at their petition beginning in verse 23. It says that as soon as Peter and John were let go from their incarceration and, and interrogation, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had sent unto them. Now, company is kind of an unusual name uh, to refer to a church as. We learned last week that the recently born Church of Jesus Christ, it has grown to at least 5,000 individuals. So I don't believe that they called the entire assembly of 5,000 plus people together. I, I believe God uses this term company here to refer to the leadership of the church specifically. That is who Peter and John immediately went to and told of their experience and what was said. It says, and when this company of church leadership, who are most likely the apostles and those Christians who had been a part of the church since the moment it was formed, back when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, when they heard this report, notice what verse 24 says, was their initial response to this resistance as a corporate body now. It says, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God. They all began praying, but it was one one prayer, unified, voices in the singular uh, in the Greek. They lifted up their voice to God. So, so there was a turn to prayer. And Dublin First Baptist, I don't know if there's anything more than that that we need right now, especially prayer like this one here. In fact, all the way up to verse 30, almost this entire passage that we're studying together this morning is a prayer. Now, you might think, Jason, we haven't had anyone arrested uh, or imprisoned or put on trial for preaching the gospel or for serving the Lord or for standing for the faith. So is it, is it that necessary that our response will be just like this one here? Well, listen, the way things are going in our country right now, I don't, I don't know how far off that kind of thing is. Um, but even more so, as I mentioned last week, <laughs> right now, you and I face a resistance to our mission that's no less dangerous an obstacle to God being glorified and to you and I receiving good from his hand like we just sang about? What is it? I mean, temptation abounds. That's the resistance that we face every day. The allure of this world, the values of this world, they are doing all that they can to work their way into the church by sneaking into the lives of, of individual Christians that compose the church. Families are falling apart. In our nation. Read last night, 18%. 18% of homes in the United States have a mom, dad, kids, both parents and a kid. And that's probably a better ratio than a church. The church probably is a little bit better, but I mean, we're having that problem. Families are falling apart. There are Christians who, there are Christians who profess to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And who even frequent a church service every so often. But, but whose lives, the other six days of the week, bear absolutely no evidence that such a relationship exists whatsoever. And, and even for those that this is not true of, that's Satan's intent and design. That's what he wants to see in your life. He wants your family destroyed. He wants you to live like that, professing Jesus, but living like the world. He works tirelessly. The devil works tirelessly to accomplish that in the lives of every single person here. Every Jesus follower who's in this room. Now, maybe you're thinking, whoo, that's not me. He's talking about someone else. Well, I hope that isn't you right now. And, and I 
not talking about anyone specifically. I mean, no single individual has spurred this concern. It's just a state of affairs in our culture right now. But you better believe that without a turn to prayer, that so easily could be me. Or it could be you. It could be any one of us here this morning. I mean, that's the reality of the resistance that's rising and that each one of us face. At every moment we face this as we try to live for Christ in this world. And so we must respond like the church here responds. There must be a turn to prayer. We're going to study this prayer as we continue this passage verse by verse. But would you just right now drop down to verse 29? Because we see really the main content of the prayer. All those other verses are part of the prayer too. But if you look at verse 29, look at what the main content is. They say, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. So what do they pray for? What did they pray for here? Did, did they pray for relief from this resistance? An end to persecution? God help this persecution to end. Did they pray for their community or, or their nation to, to elect Christian officials who would legislate Christian values? No. And, and not that there would be anything wrong with any of those prayers offered up. But what they pray for in this passage right here is for God to behold the threats of their enemies. And for God to give them, this is important, pay attention to this, for God to give them the courage, the strength, and, and the more opportunities to continue to boldly speak God's word anyway, despite any resistance they were facing. That needs to be our prayer too. I mean, we need to say, God, you know the resistance that is rising against us, maybe against my family, uh, against our church. So God, give us the courage Give, give us the strength. Give me the opportunities to boldly speak your word. But how I live and what I say by me, my family, by, by my church saying no to sin and saying yes to your commands because we can't do this without you, Lord. They prayed for that. We need to pray for that. That needs to be the prayer of our church, but that can only occur. It will only be the prayer of our church if it's the prayer of each individual who composes our church. Let's go back to verse 24 and continue to look at the content of their prayer. Uh, they refer to their position, and this is an important thing. It's one of the things that prayer does. Tommy and I often will talk about this on Sunday evening. One of the main purposes of prayer that God has in his design is for our will to be aligned with God's will. And that happens here. There's a really unique term used for God here in verse 24. It says, these followers of Jesus, they turned uh, to prayer. They lifted up their voice together with one accord. And unified in what they are praying, they say, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And it's that word for Lord. I mean, Lord, you might think that's not a very unique term in the Bible. It's all throughout it. It's the word that's used here for Lord. In the Old Testament, when you see Lord in all capitals, L-O-R-D, all caps, that, that's Yahweh. And when you see capital L and lowercase O-R-D, that, that's Old Testament um, Hebrew term Adonai. And often in the New Testament, you'll see kurios. That, that's what typically Lord is. There's infrequent um, word used here, and it's despotes. We usually has a negative connotation in our language. It's where we get despot, like a, a tyrant. Now, that's what's used here. Simeon used the very same term when he held the baby Jesus in the temple. And literally, it means sovereign Lord. 
It means my master, someone who, who exercises completely unrestricted power, somebody who has absolute dominion. Is that your God? That's my God. It's a God of these disciples. The, the sovereign over all creation. That is how they address him. And in so doing, this is the cool part, they are reminding themselves who they're talking to, who they are serving, who has saved them, and who is totally in control of the situation right now. And so by viewing God this way, by addressing God this way in their prayer, they're not only glorifying God, but they're also fueling their own faith through this prayer. They're recognizing their position. He is sovereign Lord. We are his servants. We are his slaves. We are subjects of the king of kings who has completely unrestricted power and absolute dominion. When you view God for who he truly is and when you address him this way, it will remind you also of who you are. Everything is put into its proper perspective. That you're loved by him. That you're saved by him. That you're commanded to be holy just as he is holy. That you're commissioned by him for service. And a service that's bold and courageous. It's not just prayer and our response to resistance against our mission. Whether that comes from persecution or, or from temptations that Satan is sending our way. The church of Christ must also experience a turn to promises. Verses 25 and 26. That's how this prayer continues. First, first we see them pray. But then we see them turn to promises, turn to God's word. Look at verse 25. We'll actually read verse 25 and 26. They say, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? And the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, that might sound like unusual content. They're praying here in response to uh, the threats that they had received. If you remember from last week, they not just threatened them, they threatened and threatened and threatened and told them they are no more to heal in the name of Jesus. They're no more to talk about Jesus. And so this prayer is their response. So um, what about verses 25 and 26? Why are they included here? It's not, um, it's not really unusual given the situation. It's spot on perfect. It's a quotation from what we read earlier in scripture reading time from Psalm 2. They are praying God's word back to him, praying God's promises right back to him. Thousands of years earlier, God's Holy Spirit inspired David to pen these words right here. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? So, so do you see what these Christians are doing here? Do you see how they're responding to resistance together? They're turning to God's promises. They're turning to God's word. They're, they're praying this section of scripture to God. And in doing that, they, they are connecting it. They are connecting truth to what is currently going on in their lives. They're realizing that what they're experiencing, God had said they would experience. That when Jesus, the Messiah, would come, there would not be a warm welcome and celebration in this world the heathen, the, the Gentiles, they would rage. And the people, even God's people, Israel, would imagine a vain thing. Christ would have resistance rise up against him. Christ's followers, Christians, will face the same resistance that he faced. In John 15, 18 to 20, that is, that is literally the promise that Jesus gave his followers. If the world hates you, 
Keep in mind that it hated me first. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And you know John 16, where Jesus said, I have told you these things. I'm giving you these promises, including that one right there, that you will face hatred and persecution. I'm, I've told you these things. I'm giving you these promises so that in me you will have peace. Because in this world, what will you have? Trouble. Tribulation. Don't fear. For I have overcome the world. That's what Christ says. So these followers of Jesus, they turn to God's promises. They turn to God's word to help them understand what went on at the beginning of chapter 4. The resistance rising to them and their mission. Their arrest, interrogation, incarceration. They, they apply this prophetic promise from Psalm chapter 2 to their situation and to encourage them. That, that this was no result of fate or bad luck. It's not something that just happened. God knew about it. God planned it. God purposed it centuries before. And we need to do, we need to do the same thing. I do think it's noteworthy that they, that they didn't pause in this prayer to look up this scripture. Get back in the concordance. Or we'll use a bookmark where to go for help when... Google Bible verses about perseverance. It was ready in their heart, wasn't it? As they're praying, it just erupts from their heart and they take this truth that they already had. At one point it was in their head and then it comes to their heart and they apply it to this situation. It was committed to memory. It was ready to go at a moment's notice so that they could apply it and continue to trust the Lord in this very difficult circumstance. Can I just say this plain and clear, Christian? Biblical illiteracy will be your ruin. It will. It needs to be in your heart. But it, it needs to be believed. It needs to be acted on. But before that can happen, it has to be in your head. Listen, if you're going to face, if you're going to be victorious over the resistance rising, whether that's from persecution or, or from the temptations of this world, you had better turn to God's promises and do so frequently. That's what Jesus used to defeat temptation. He had them at the ready, like arrows in a quiver, like bullets in a magazine that were ready to go. This morning, hear the word of God through Joshua, given to God's people right before they went in to take possession of the promised land. Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law, it shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Why are there Christian families falling apart? Why are there churches dying out? Not being a light in their community, not being a, a city on a hill as, as Christ designed. Why are there those who, who claim to know Christ, who, who claim to be saved, but who live no differently 99% of the time than those who have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever? Why is that? Because there's been no turning to prayer. Because there's no turning to God's promises, and to God's word. It has departed from their mouth. There's little or no meditation in it, day or night, much less day and night. And so consequently, there is no, so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Hey, if we're going to be victorious over 
resistance rising from persecution or temptation. There has to be a turning to God's word like there is here. There has to be knowledge of its truth. There has to be uh, application of its truth to your real life. There has to be a transformation by that truth. They also identify the target in verse 26. We briefly hit on this already in that quotation from Jesus in the Gospel of John. But, but the disciples turn to God's word in verse 26. They're, they're quoting Psalm chapter 2. And they recognize that the target in all of this truly is Jesus. It says the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's has what has happened ever since Jesus Christ came to this earth, isn't it? I mean, from the cradle to Calvary, from Christmas to the cross, this world has been against Jesus. King Herod Antipas tried to kill him in Bethlehem. And then a different King Herod and Pilate achieved that 33 years or so later in Jerusalem. Satan's target, this world's target is Jesus. But he rose from the grave, amen? Amen. He did. He ascended into heaven. He's at God's right hand right now, and he'll be there until he returns for us. And because he is now an unreachable target, will Satan and this world currently target those who are his? It's what they're doing right here in Acts chapter 4. It's what they're doing this morning. And, and Jesus promised as much. And so to defend against these attacks of persecution and temptation, uh, to experience what we sing about, victory in Jesus, we must turn to prayer. We must turn to the promises in God's word. And this morning, we need to do what they do here as well in the rest of these verses. And we need to turn to power. First of all, God's sovereignty is remembered in verses 27 and 28. You know the peace-infusing quality of really understanding the sovereignty of God? Uh, it's been in their minds of these Christians ever since they began their prayer. They began with sovereign Lord. That's what that Lord that usage of the word Lord means. Sovereign Lord, thou art God. And it's highlighted. It's highlighted. God's sovereignty is highlighted in their turning to God's word in verses 25 and 26. And they recognize that what had just happened to them with the Sanhedrin hours before, it was promised. It was planned. It had a purpose by their sovereign Lord centuries earlier. And here in verses 27 and 28, God's sovereignty is remembered once again in this prayer. Listen, that is truth. The sovereignty of God, it is a, a faith-fueling peace that passes all understanding, infusing truth, Christian. That's what it says here. For of a truth against your holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they all were gathered together. And so verse 27 says that what God promised would happen in Psalm 2 actually happened. And then verse 28 continues, For to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel determine before to be done. So I put some emphasis there on syllables. Let me read it again. For to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel God determined before to be done. What does that mean for them? What does that mean for us? It means that what happened to Jesus, it means that what happened in to them in the temple at the Sanhedrin council just hours earlier. It wasn't happenstance. Jesus experienced the wrath of man. It's talked about in verses 25 and 26. These followers of Jesus had just experienced the wrath of man and their arrest and their imprisonment and their persecution. And we know it's going to get a lot worse. 
But the wrath of man, please listen to this, the wrath of man has never, it has never once operated outside of the sphere of God's control. Amen? The wrath of man has never, not once operated outside of the sphere of God's control. Isn't that such a wonderful Bible truth? Man, we need to cling to that. These enemies of Jesus, this is what it means, these enemies of Jesus could only do what the hand of God allowed and what the counsel of God had determined before was best for God's glory and for our good. Christian, the truth of the sovereignty of God, it brings such peace, and I mean real peace, knowing, knowing that whatever has come my way, it has already passed through God's good and gracious and omnipotent hands first. That's what it teaches us. And God's sovereignty remembered in your life, it brings power. That's why it's so important. Uh, there, is, there is power for boldness there. There's power for courage and continuing on in the great commission here. Is resistance rising? No matter. Don't care. That's what God's sovereignty brings to us. That kind of power, that kind of boldness, that kind of courage. Like we sing about when we sing in Christ alone. No guilt in life. <laughs> Not, there's no shame like we sung with Holy Spirit. No fear in death. When people live like that, there's power. Power comes from a recognition and reliance on the sovereignty of God, but it also comes through God's spirit requested. We see that in verses 29 to 31. And we took a look at the content of their prayer in verse 29 earlier this morning. And again, it is not a prayer out of these circumstances. It is a prayer for boldness so that they can continue to speak God's word in those circumstances. And when we pray, we must see our circumstances in light of God's word and in light of our God. Yes, turning to prayer, turning to God's promises, that will help us endure It'll help us be victorious. It will help us live a faithful, a full of faith Christianity that, that never sees our God in light of our supposedly big circumstances, but, but always sees him, sees our circumstances in, in light of our big God. Um, they were told to stop healing in the name of Jesus. Stop. Now, they were told to stop preaching, to stop sharing about Jesus. And then as their prayer draws to a close, we find them praying for boldness to, to keep on in new opportunities to do both of those things. Verse 30, they, they literally pray, God, give us additional opportunities where we might be persecuted, but where you will stretch forth your hand to heal, where signs and wonders will be done in Jesus' name. They didn't ask to do miracles themselves. They understood that it was by the power of Jesus that this man was healed and that anyone else would be. It was the continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through his followers. They didn't want to. They, they didn't ask to do big things for God. No, they, they desired, they asked God in this prayer to do things for their big God. And I pray that's a desire. I pray that's a heart cry of every Christian here this morning. To God, to God be the glory. Do great things. Great God through us. And verse 31 tells us that they received the boldness that they had just prayed for. They requested that God's Holy Spirit would continue the work of Christ through them. Did they get an answer to that prayer right there? When they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. 
So here's these Christians indwelt by the Holy Spirit and who are once again filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what caused the shaking. Full, full dose of the Holy Spirit among everybody there because of their prayer, because of their turning to God, turning to prayer, turning to God's word, turning to promises. The Holy Spirit of God filling, filling them. You want that. You want that. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, do you want to experience what we have been studying so far for the last month or so in these first four chapters of Acts? Do you want to see amazing conversions to Christ? I mean, people getting saved? I want to see that. I'm thankful for everybody that we've been able to to lead to the Lord. I want more for God's glory. Do you want to see people repenting of their sins? Do you want to see Christians getting on fire? I mean, going all in, committing themselves to come together, to worship together, to learn more about the Lord, to serve the Lord. Nothing held back. Nothing roped off. And do you want that for yourself? For your church? Or, or are you okay with the level of Jesus you have at the moment? Like, yeah, I want Holy Spirit indwelling. That's a prerequisite for me being saved, going to heaven. Let's not get crazy with this whole Holy Spirit filling thing. I don't know about you, but, but I don't want any part of moderation <laughs> when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his Holy Spirit. Now, I want, I want the full dose. I, I want to do whatever it takes. I, I want to give up whatever it takes to experience that to experience what, what went on right, right here. I, I want Dublin First Baptist Church to experience it. And on a regular basis, like a consistent filling with the Holy Spirit. But that will require the catalyst for what happened here to happen in our lives. It will require us turning to prayer. It will require us turning to the promises of God's word, turn, turning to the power of the Holy Spirit. For, for us to experience the joy, for, for us to be a church on, on fire like we're seeing here, these, this kind of Acts 1 through 4 church, it will only be because every person here this morning will make a commitment either to begin or, or to continue on in a lifestyle, a lifestyle of turning to prayer and turning to the promises of God's word so we can overcome persecution and temptations. It, then... Then and only then will we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, like it's described right here. Then and only then are we going to see, are, are we going to get to be a part of Acts chapters 1 through 4, great commission accomplishment. Because it's, it's up to us as individuals. When that occurs, it's up to us together as a church. I mean, this, this place right here can be shaken by the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. I kind of felt that a little bit when you all were singing that's the other reason I shut up. I wanted to hear you, but I also got a little prickly because I was paying attention to the words. I was paying attention to what you said. I mean, D Dublin First Baptist Church in Bladen County, we can experience this kind of, of, of Holy Spirit power. And, and God, God can work through you and I for that to be accomplished. But only if the response of every one of us here is a genuine and passionate turn to prayer. And turn to God's word. I, I want that. And I pray that a filling of the Holy Spirit for every one of us will begin right here this morning. In, in me and in you. What about you? I'm going to ask Tommy to come and we'll have a time of response. But listen, families are at stake. 
our testimony is at stake. The future of Dublin First Baptist Church as a gleaming light, <laughs> shining for Jesus here, there, and everywhere, that, that's what's at stake. The glory of Almighty God. Uh, us receiving good from his hand. That's what's at stake with what each one of us will do in response to God's word right now. So however the Holy Spirit has used the word of God this morning to call you to respond, I just ask that you'd obey.